Well, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. You guys doing okay? Everybody doing good? Awesome. Well, my name's Chad, if you're new here, and we're so glad you're joining us. We also have family that join us every single weekend from our Stone Canyon campus, as well as others who join us online. So if you would, put your hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, last weekend, we launched a new teaching series, which we're calling Majnik. Now, I know that when we revealed this term last weekend, some of you guys were shocked. You had no idea what it meant. Some of you guys knew right away what it meant. Some of you right now, if this is your first Sunday, you're probably thinking, is that even a word? Well, it is kind of. It's the word kingdom backwards. And we talked about that last week. And when we first started advertising this series a couple weeks in advance, we tried to be kind of mysterious and secretive about the meaning of this word. But some of you all figured out right away. In fact, my wife got a text message the very first Sunday that we advertised a series from one of our uh, staff wives, one of our wives of a staff member. And this is what she texted Allison, my wife. Now, this isn't a foreign language. I want you to notice what it says backwards. Tell Chad I figured out the next sermon series, and she's laughing at me. So some of you guys got it right away, and that's great. Some of you guys are still trying to figure out, and that's fine too. But whether you figured out right away or not, I believe this term, Majnik, is an extremely powerful term. It's a life-changing term because it reveals not only who Jesus is, why he came, his mission, but also reveals a new way of life. The life that Jesus died for us to live. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Because in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches us about life, about how to really live. And in this sermon, he gives us a model, an example for prayer. And this is a line that is found within that model for prayer. Jesus says that we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, we want your kingdom to come. God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want for your will to be done in our hearts, in our lives, just as it is carried out in heaven. We want your kingdom to come to earth as it exists in heaven. Now, I don't know what you think of when you see the word or hear the word kingdom, but let me let you know what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus uses the word kingdom, he's talking about a sphere of influence, meaning he wants God to be just as influential on the earth as he is in heaven. He wants God's influence to spread from heaven to earth. Let me put it another way. We should want for what goes on up there to come down here. We should want up there to happen down here. We should want God's kingdom to expand from heaven to earth. And that is to happen through our daily lives. And honestly, that's a really good thing. Because what's going on down here isn't really working. You can have all the stuff that this world has to offer. You can have all the fame and popularity and power that this world has to offer. You can have everything this world has to give you and still feel very empty. Still feel like you're missing something. Still go to bed every night thinking there's got to be more. Because the life that this world has sold us, the cookie cutter existence that our culture has passed down to us, it isn't working it leaves us unsatisfied. It leaves us wanting for more. It doesn't give us the peace that our souls are longing for. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give us a new way of life because the old way of life, the life that we've been living, it isn't working. 
And he knew we needed to be rewired. He knew we needed to be reoriented. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I decided to take up golf for a little while. Some of my buddies played golf, and so I thought, well, I'll play with them. So I bought a cheap set of golf clubs, and I thought, this is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm decently athletic. I thought I'd be pretty good at it, and I wasn't. I was terrible at golf. And sometimes when I mentioned that I used to play golf in college, no, I didn't play for a team, just with my buddies, so don't misunderstand me, but people will still come to me, and they'll say, hey, let's go play around the golf. And I'm like, you do not want to play with me. I am the worst golfer on the face of the planet, and that is not an exaggeration. I only play with people who are worse than I am, and I haven't found those people yet. So I am really, really bad. But I'm the type of person that if I'm not good at something, I will work and work and work to try to get good at it, or I'll just give up, and I won't try it anymore. And so in college, I thought, you know, I should be better than this. So I hired a golf pro to teach me how to swing. And he took me out to a driving range, and he had me hit some balls, and he wanted to see my form. So I hit a few golf balls, and after we finished, he looked at me, and he kind of smiled, and he said, You've played before, haven't you? And I, my chest kind of poked out a little bit, and I was just like, well, yeah, I sure have. And honestly, I did really well. For me, like, those are some of the best hits I'd ever made. I mean, I was kind of proud of myself that I didn't choke up, you know, in the presence of this golf pro. So I was just like, well, yeah, I have played before. And he looked at me, and he said, that's your problem. You need to unlearn everything you know about golf. And you need to start over from scratch. Now, he was a little bit mean when he said that, I'll tell you, but... He was right. And honestly, I think that's what Jesus is doing in a much more loving way. I think that's what Jesus is doing as he teaches us, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount. What he's saying is life as you have always known it, it isn't real life. And you need to unlearn what you know about life, and I will teach you how to really live. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, seek God's way of life, his kingdom way of life above all else and live righteously, live for what's right in his eyes and God will give you everything you need. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say that God will give you everything you want, everything your heart desires. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say that God will make your life easier. In fact, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you find out is sometimes when you live for Jesus, life is pretty tough. But what he does promise is when you live for his way of life, life will be better. In fact, you will live the best life you could possibly live. And that's the thing. It's not just that we live the best life. We actually get better at living life. Jesus' way of life doesn't just make life better for us, it makes us better at life. But in order for that to happen, we've got to accept up front that his way of life is going to be very, very different from what we're used to. That it's upside down, that it's backwards, that it's majnik. Because the way of life that we've been accustomed to, we've been used to, it isn't working. Let me illustrate it like this. Hang with me for a second. If you're like my family, you probably go to the grocery store a lot. We go like once a week. We eat at home a whole lot. So we go to the grocery store like once a week, and we have our go-to favorites. We have our favorite brands and our favorite items that we buy all the time. And I just want to see if some of your favorites are also my favorites as well. So I'm going to take a poll here, put some options up on the screen, and I want you guys to vote. And the way that you're going to vote is just by clapping or cheering, just letting me know which of these two options you like the best. 
best. So we're just going to go through some items and see which of these you like the best. So here's the first couple options I want you to choose between. This is cookies, so uh, Oreo cookies or Chips Ahoy cookies. And so let me hear you out loud. How many of you guys would vote for Oreo cookies over Chips Ahoy? Wow, good number. Awesome. Okay, how many of you would vote for Chips Ahoy? Oh, not near as many. Okay, that was the large majority definitely like Oreos. I would, I, I'm there with you. Now, I don't eat these cookies anymore, but if I did, Oreos would definitely be my pick. Okay, here's a couple other options for you to for us to see what you like. These are chips, Doritos or Cheetos. I know that's a hard choice. If I were polling my family, they would probably say both, but you can't choose both, okay? I want you to pick one or the other. So how many of you would vote for Doritos? Awesome, okay. What about Cheetos? Wow, Cheetos won in the earlier service as well. I'm a little bit surprised, but that's cool. There are more Doritos fans in this service though. Okay, how about these next two items? Okay, now these are for the parents, the young parents in our rooms and in the room who have young kids. In fact, my assistant in the office, she's a brand new mom, and we were talking about different grocery items that we could vote on, and she said, you got to put diapers up there. So I did for her, and so let's see if you have your favorite between these two. Now, these are probably the two major brand of diapers, Pampers and Huggies. Maybe you use another brand. It's kind of interesting. When Alex was born, my son, we were like Pampers only. That's what we picked. But then when Addie came along, we decided to go with Huggies, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if they filled their diapers differently or what but we decided to go with Huggies a second time around for some reason but you probably have your favorite let me hear how many how many of you guys would pick Pampers okay what about Huggies okay how many of you guys don't care at all it doesn't matter one bit there you go all right <laughs> how many of you guys like changing diapers anybody yeah I didn't think so okay next two items okay Cereal, now this is a tough one, I know. Fruity Pebbles or Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. Let's see which, you choose, which one of these two you choose. How many guys would vote for Fruity Pebbles? Okay, good number. What about Lucky Charms? Wow, I think Lucky Charms got it on that one. Okay, one more I want you to vote on. Let's pick our favorite ice cream, okay? I know, I hear the groans already. Okay. Bluebell ice cream or Ben and Jerry's ice cream? How many Bluebell fans do we have? Yeah. And Ben and Jerry's? Like three, okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's because Bluebell is like made in Northeast Oklahoma or what, but still, yeah, I would probably have to go with Bluebell Blue as well. Now, here's the thing. If you have purchased any of the items I just put up on the screen in the past, you've probably been offered one of these. A grocery bag, right? Maybe you're checking out with a cashier and the cashier says, would you like to bag that? Or maybe you're going through a self-checkout and you see them there and you pick one to put your items in. You've probably been offered one of these. And I think these bags are kind of important. Now, I know some stores want to get away from offering you bags because they want to save the environment. I'm all about protecting the environment, don't get me wrong. But I like my grocery bags. I like to have something to carry my groceries in when I check out. And so these bags come in handy. But here's the thing. They're not made to carry everything. Yeah, you can put chips or Oreos or cereal or whatever in one of these bags, and it's fine. But what if I told you I wanted to carry out some 10-pound weights in one of these bags? If I filled this bag up with a couple 10-pound weights, maybe even threw in a 15-pounder here, and I put it in this grocery sack, and I picked it up, do you think that I'm going to make it very far? 
Probably not. In fact, I would pick it up for you right now, but I value my toes way too much, okay? Because you know what's going to happen? If you try to carry weights too far in a grocery bag like that, the bottom's going to fall out, right? The bag is going to fall apart. And honestly, I had to learn this the hard way. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out because when I first was on my own and had to go do some grocery shopping, and I do that a lot, but I did for like the first time, I decided to buy milk. And normally, you know, my mom or dad bought milk. It wasn't a big deal. But I bought my first ever gallon of milk. And when I was checking out, the cashier asked me, do you want your milk in a bag? I was like, well, yeah, duh, of course I want my milk in a bag. Why wouldn't I? And she said, do you want me to double bag it? Like, why would you double bag it? No, I don't waste a bag. That's fine. Just put it in a bag. And I learned the hard way. I put my milk in its bag and the cart, took it out to my car. And as I'm pulling the bag with the milk in it out of the cart, the bag tore open. The milk fell to the pavement. It, the jug busted. Milk went everywhere. And I made all the stray cats in Walmart's parking lot very, very happy that night. Now, I had to learn the hard way. There's a reason why they say, do you want your milk in a bag or do you want to double bag it? Because... Bags like this aren't meant to carry that much weight. And I believe that this grocery sack is an illustration of our lives. See, God created us, and he created us to be full of certain things. He wanted to fill our lives with his love, his joy, his purpose. We were created to hold those things. But you know what we did? We decided to fill our lives with things that weigh us down. We decided to fill our lives with greed and lust and bitterness and anger, selfishness. That's what we decided to fill our lives with. And not only did those things weigh us down, they destroyed our lives. The bottom fell out. Our lives fell apart because we were never meant to have those things in our lives. And so what Jesus came to do was to give us not just a brand new life, a brand new life that's whole and intact, that can hold what God wants us to have. He also came to show us how to avoid putting stuff like this back in our lives. He came to show us what to keep out of our lives. He came to show us what our lives need to be full of and what we need to avoid at all costs. He came to show us how to really live, how to live the life that God designed us to live. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I came to give life, life in all its fullness. In other words, not just life as you know it, not just life as you have experienced it, a partial life, a half life, a distorted version of life. I came to give you a full, complete, whole life, the life that God designed you to live. And even though Jesus' way of life may sound a little different and a little odd and a little backwards at times, it's the only way to really live. And that's the point that Jesus is going to make over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're studying in this series. And so we talked last week how on one occasion, early on in Jesus' ministry, he took a bunch of his followers up on a mountainside, a huge crowd of people, and he began to teach them. And he probably met with these followers, these, this crowd of people, he probably met with them in the hills of Galilee, outside of the city limits. And he met with this crowd there for probably a couple reasons. One, it was a location that could hold a large crowd. He could teach a lot of people at one time, but there's also another reason. See, the hills of Galilee, that's where the revolutionaries would meet with their followers. 
Because you see, the Jewish people, they had been conquered by a foreign government, the Roman government. And so they were living under foreign oppression. And they lost their rights and their privileges. And there were a lot of guys who came along and said, we don't have to take this. And so they would meet with their followers out on a mountainside somewhere, trying to rally them. There were other people who didn't like the way that the Jewish leaders were leading uh, the Jewish people. And so they would take their followers outside of the city limits of Jerusalem and meet with them and preach some revolutionary message about this is how God really intended us to live. So when Jesus meets with these crowds out on a mountainside, out on a hillside, this is letting us know something. Jesus is a revolutionary. And he came preaching a revolutionary message. Now, it's not a political revolution. It's a spiritual one. But what Jesus came to do was to revolutionize our lives, to tell us that there is a better way of living, to turn our lives upside down so that we could live life to the full. And that's why over and over again, as Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this little phrase. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. In other words, Jesus says, hey, this is what the world says. This is what the world has taught you. This is what the culture around you tells you. But I'm here to tell you something different. I'm here to show you God's vision for life. So Jesus will say, you've heard that it was said, hate your enemies. That's fine. Somebody's your, somebody's your enemy. You don't have to have anything to do with them. Hate your enemies. But I tell you, no, no, no. You're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's turning everything upside down. He's redefining life. And for some of you listening to this message today, that's a very refreshing thing to hear. Because as you look at your life right now, you realize your life is kind of messed up. You realize your life is a wreck. And you would love the chance at a fresh start. You would love to know how to live in such a way where you have true contentment and purpose and meaning. Some of you listening to this message find, find it refreshing, not because your life is a wreck, at least not in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of the world, your life is pretty comfortable. You're pretty successful. You've got a lot of stuff. You're living the American dream right now. But you're empty still. You've got what a lot of people would long to have. You've got a nice job and a nice house and a nice car and some money in your bank account. But you lay your head down every night wondering if there's not more. And that's what Jesus came to tell us, that's something more. If your life's a wreck or if you're living the American dream right now, there is something more out there. There's a new way to live, and in all reality, it's the only way to live. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out this new life for us. And so we're going to begin at the very beginning of the sermon in Matthew chapter 5. And this is how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. This is how he begins to lay out this new way of life that he wants us to live. So Matthew chapter 5 says, Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is interesting to me. As Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount to lay out this new way of life, I want you to notice that he doesn't start by giving us commands, but he starts by giving us blessings. In fact, the first two words that Jesus says in this sermon, blessed are. And honestly, I feel like that in the modern church, we've lost the meaning of those two words. Because let me let you know how I used to read the Sermon on the Mount, especially these blessings. He's, there are nine blessings that Jesus gives us. He says nine different times, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And we refer to these nine blessings as the Beatitudes, which just comes from a Latin word, which means to be blessed. You know how I used to read the beginning of the sermon? How I used to read the Beatitudes? I used to treat them like they were commands. I used to think that what Jesus was saying here is, you better be poor in spirit. You better be pure in heart. You better mourn. You better experience persecution. Because if not, God won't bless you. I always read them as commands. But I missed what Jesus was saying. Jesus isn't giving us commands here. Now, he's going to give us plenty of commands, plenty of instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to those. But that's not what he starts with. He starts with blessings instead. And I want you to get this. Don't miss this. When Jesus starts his sermon, he doesn't start with commands and blessings. And there's a reason for that. Because he blesses those who needed it the most. He blessed the persecuted, the grieving, the poor, the humble. Those who needed it the most. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think that's absolutely cool. You know why? Because before we can live out the commands that are found in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to first know that you are loved by God. Because you'll never live out this backwards way of life, this odd way of life that Jesus is calling us to unless you first know who you are, unless you first understand that you are loved by God. And his love will motivate you to live out this new life that Jesus is calling you to. And I want you to pay careful attention to the very first group of people that Jesus blesses. In Matthew chapter 5, look at the very first group of people he blesses. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, there's that term again, kingdom of heaven. Now that term there, poor in spirit, actually refers to a Hebrew term that describes a certain group of people known as the Anawim. You would say that with me, on a weem, on the count of three. One, two, three, on a weem. Now, these were people who traced their roots back to 
the captivity. If you know the Old Testament, you know that at one point God allowed his people to be taken captive, to be taken into exile. So a foreign power came in and took over the nation of Israel, and they took back with them to their homeland exiles, people from Israel. But here's the thing. Not everyone was taken back in exile. Not everyone was taken into captivity. Only those who were found to be useful were taken into captivity. Those who were skilled, those who had value, those who were talented, those who could offer something to this foreign power that was taking them captive. They only took the people who they considered to be useful. And those who were left behind, those who didn't go with their enemies, those who were left behind who weren't considered useful, there was a term to describe them, the Anawim. Now, You haven't been really insulted until your enemies come to town and say, we're going to take captive everybody who's useful, and you're not one of them. You haven't been really insulted until you experience that. But that was this group. I was reading a book just the other day where they were describing the Anawim. And in this book, it was written by Randy Harris, one of my favorite Christian authors. He was giving a practical example of what it would have meant to have been part of this group. He said that when he graduated college, he applied for a teaching job at a school. So he applied for this job and he didn't get it. He said, now that's rejection. That's not necessarily on a weem. That's just rejection. But what happened was the school decided not to hire anyone. They kept the position open and they kept it open for months and months and months. And basically what they were telling him was, we'd rather keep this position open and have no one than hire you. That's on a weem. Let me give you another example. Let's say there's some people playing a pickup game of basketball outside and there's nine people there. They're playing five on four. And you walk up and you look at that team of four and you say, hey, I could be your fifth guy. That team of four looks at you and they look you up and down. They say, nah, we're good. We'll just play a man down. We're good. That's on a wing. They were the pitiful, the worthless, the pathetic, the damaged, the disposables, the deplorables. And here's the thing. No matter how many wins you've had in your life, I guarantee you've had an on a moment or two. I guarantee you've been there. We all have. And that was the crowd that Jesus was preaching to on that day when he introduced the Sermon on the Mount. They were the on They had been taken over by a foreign government. They had lost their rights, their privileges, their freedoms. Most of them were poor. Most of them were discouraged. Most of them were without hope. They were the Anawim. And they're looking around at their lives and they're wondering, is God really with us? Is God really on our side? Does God even care about us? And then Jesus comes on the scene and the very first words out of his mouth, the very first words out of the mouth of God to these people were, blessed are you because God notices you. God loves you. And you may look around at your life and you may think, There's not a lot to be proud of, but God loves you. And he has a very different definition of life 
than what your culture has tried to sell you. He wants for you to live like you've never lived before because you matter to him. Blessed are you. See, a key word in this opening is the word are. He's speaking to people who presently are in this situation, who presently are poor in spirit, presently are being persecuted, presently feel rejected and left out, and the list goes on and on. God loves you right where you are. And I think that's the message that Jesus wants us to hear today as well. Because regardless of what the world says about you, you are loved by God and there is a place for you in his kingdom. And really, I think that's the theme of all nine of these blessing statements, all nine of these beatitudes. I mean, look at this list. No one wants to be in any of these situations. These aren't good situations to be in. At least that's what the world tells us. We've already talked about poor in spirit, but look at the rest of them. Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, we've all been through seasons of mourning, seasons of grieving, but who wants to be there? Does anybody want to grieve? Does anybody want to mourn? Of course not, but we've all been there. Blessed are the meek. Who wants to live in a lowly position? I mean, I know Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first, but who really wants to be last? I mean, who really wants to humble themselves? Who wants to be known as the meek? What about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? We don't want to hunger and thirst for anything. And sometimes righteousness, meaning right living, that'll leave you feeling excluded, left out. The world will mock you and make fun of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What about the merciful? I mean, let's face it. Sometimes in life, we just don't want to show mercy, do we? Sometimes we want justice, payback. We don't want to show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. When I have an opportunity to talk to teenagers, students, about living a life of purity, I hear the same thing over and over again. Chad, we get it. We get what the Bible says. But none of our friends are doing that. None of our buddies are doing that. And they seem like they're having a pretty good time. And maybe they are for a season. But what God knows is there's, there are consequences to those decisions that your buddies and your friends are making. And he's trying to give you the best life possible, the best life for the long term. He doesn't want you to have to face those unnecessary consequences that come along with the decisions and choices that your friends are making. What a blessed are the peacemakers. Have you ever noticed how peacemakers are never really respected? I mean, most of the time we want people who are going to make a principled stand, you know, but peacemakers, they're, they're not really respected. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness. Who wants to be persecuted? And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Who wants any of that? And yet, we've all been there before. We've all lived in one of those situations, if not many, all of them before. We've all been there before. And Jesus says, in this life, when you find yourself in one of these situations and the world sees you as a loser, 
or the world mocks you or ignores you or excludes you or disses you or discourages you or whatever, know in that moment that you are blessed because know that God loves you and he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. Know that your life matters. When you find yourself rejected and alone, remember there's a place for you in God's kingdom. Because here's the thing, we've been told there's room at the top. That's what our culture says. Hey, there's room at the top, but let's be honest, there's not that much room. And very few people actually make it to the top in the eyes of the world. Most of us, in the eyes of the world, we're the Anawim. But that's okay. Because Jesus came for the Anawim. Like you and like me. When Jesus established his kingdom, he didn't go first to those who were at the top of the social ladder in the eyes of the world. He came for the poor in spirit. He came for the meek. He came for those who are persecuted, for those who are grieving, for those who are hurting. He came for people like you and me. And the world will tell us, hey, the blessed life is getting all the stuff you can get and having all the money you can get and achieving all the popularity and success that you can get. But Jesus says, you want to know what the blessed life really is? The blessed life? Well, that's knowing that God loves you and that your life is in his hands. And when you have that, life may not always be easy and you may not get everything you want, but you will feel blessed. When I was a kid growing up in church, my parents had me in our church's children's choir. I didn't want to be part of the children's choir, but my parents really wanted me to be part of it. So I was a part of the children's choir. I was small enough, I didn't get to make those choices. I did what mom and dad said. And I could never really sing that well, but my mom could, so she wanted me to learn music and all that kind of stuff. And so I was in the choir, and one, for one performance, I don't know what the choir director was thinking, but she assigned me a solo, probably because eventually everybody got one. It was my turn. So she assigned me a solo, and my parents, they were so proud of me, and we practiced that solo part over and over again. My mom made sure I was singing on key and all that kind of stuff, and they were just so excited, and so we rehearsed and practiced over and over again, and finally, the day came for our performance. It was taking place on a Sunday morning. We were singing a couple songs in the midst of the adult service, and I had a solo part and so we had Sunday school first and then the adult service followed that and normally we had had we would have children's church while adult service was going on but they took the kids in the choir out from children's church onto the adult service not all the kids were in the choir just some of us and so somewhere in the transition from Sunday school to taking the choir to the adult service I got left behind. I was busy playing with my friends, not paying attention. I was a little kid. And so I just went on to children's church. And so I started being part of children's church with the rest of the kids who weren't in the choir. And the choir went on to the adult service to sing their songs. And so it came time for the performance, and I'm down in children's church. And all of a sudden, I look at the door that led into where we had children's church, and there was my dad standing there. And immediately when I saw him standing there, I knew... (laughs) I had missed the the song that I was supposed to sing. And so I went up to him and I just started crying. I started saying, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got busy, I got distracted. I didn't see him come get the choir. I'm sorry. And I just am apologizing over and over again. And I'm just crying. I'm a little kid and I don't want to disappoint Mom and Dad. 
And my dad took me to a Sunday school room there in our church and set me down. He got me a donut and some orange juice. And he sent me down. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Chad, I, was, I just want to make sure you were okay. Your mom and I, we're not proud of you because you sing on a stage. We're not proud of you because you are up in front of a bunch of people. We don't love you because you're part of the choir. We love you. We're proud of you because you are ours. And no matter what you do, you will always be ours. And that means we'll always be proud of you. And we'll always love you. No matter what. And I think that's the message that the crowd gathering to hear the Sermon on the Mount needed to hear. And I think that's the message that we need to hear today as well. You see, 2,000 years ago when that crowd listened to Jesus say these words for the very first time, they didn't bring with them a pen and pad of paper to take notes. They weren't going to hear a lecture. They came looking for hope. They came looking for love. They came looking for life. And this crowd looking at themselves and feeling like they are the unawim. They got to hear Jesus say, blessed are you. Before he said anything else. And I think that's what Jesus wants you to hear today as well. You may look at your life and you may think that you're not much, that you've really made a mess of things. And maybe that's not how you see yourself. Maybe you're living the American dream right now, but you know something isn't right. You know something's missing. I don't know what state of life you're in right now, but I do know one thing. There is a place for you in God's kingdom. And you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it, but that's magic, man. It's all backwards. <laughs> but it's what God designed us for. I hope that you find your place in God's kingdom today. Because Majnik, it's for everyone. God's kingdom, it's for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and for this moment we had to look at these beatitudes, these blessings that Jesus issues in the Sermon on the Mount. And be reminded that no matter where we are in life, that you love us, that you have a plan for us, you have a greater purpose for our lives, and that you want to make us new. So I just pray if there's anyone listening to this message who's living outside of your kingdom, outside of your kingdom way of life, that Father, they would receive the invitation that your son has issued, has given, and they will come and experience the love that you want to offer them. Father, regardless of where we've been, we know there's a place for us in your kingdom. And that truly is the blessed life. Thank you for offering a guy like me that life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.